The statistics are grim. One in five working moms say they've been passed over for an important assignment or for a promotion because they have children. And women who take even one year off to have kids come back to earn 40% less than their peers. Working moms outpace, outperform, and outwork their peers. So why don't companies make an effort to support working moms? And how can working moms advocate for themselves in the workplace and in their careers? Frankly, we're tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time to make our own table, and we're going to talk about how. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Friends and fans, welcome to another episode of Moms at Work. Of course, this is the official podcast for jobs.mom. I'm your host, Sabine Mirza, and today we're going to be talking about how companies can move from performance to practice. And when I'm talking about performance, what am I talking about? I'm not talking about productivity. I'm not talking about work or tasks or roles or responsibility. What I'm talking about is when we talk about social justice, this idea of performance allyship. And before we get started, when we talk about performance allyship, what we're talking about is when companies or individuals outwardly show or express that they are for a cause or support a cause or believe in something, but they're not necessarily practicing what they're preaching. And it's all very superficial. We've seen it um, certainly in the last year um, over the course of um, the pandemic um, you know, in a, in a multitude of things from Black Lives Matter to supporting the frontline workers to supporting women at work. Um, but how has that translated to what the companies are actually doing? So today, that is going to be our topic, really taking a deep dive into what are companies saying versus what are they actually doing? And then we're going to be talking about how can employers truly be inclusive and practice what they preach. I have with me today a very special guest. She is um, extremely impressive professionally, and I'll I'll give you a little bit um, of her background. Um, She is currently the vice president of global marketing at Pop Sockets. Before that, she was the vice president of consumer products marketing at CBS Viacom. And before that, she spent a few years at Nickelodeon, where she was the vice president of brand marketing. And I could go on, her CV is quite impressive. But with us today on Moms at Work, I have Jessica Murphy. Jess, thanks for being here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And when I got the opportunity um, to, to bring you on and to really to take a deep dive into this, this topic, I got really excited because I think what we're going to be doing today is really looking at two things. The topic that we mentioned about performance, allyship, and practice, and also what it's like working in media, in television and broadcast media, which is a completely different beast, not only from other industries, but also from other types of media. Um, So before we get started, Jess, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background and where you are today and what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, I am vice president of global marketing at PopSockets. And if you don't know what kind of company that is, we make uh, cell phone accessories and lifestyle accessories. So that little circle on the back of your phone that pops out and lets you text better and hold your phone better and prop your phone better, that's really our bread and butter. And we've expanded into other product categories, which is really exciting. It's a it's a fast growing company um, out of Denver, Colorado. And it's certainly different than Viacom CBS, but a really, really fun ride. So I'm excited to be there. Um, And I came there from Viacom CBS, where I led retail marketing for brands that, as moms, many of you probably know SpongeBob and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Paw Patrol. And I had some other roles in entertainment marketing there. And then, you know, prior to that, I was at a small but mighty startup called the Michael Allen Group. And we started as six people. So I've definitely seen big, small, and in between um, in terms of company culture, which has been really interesting. Um, And right now, I would say I'm I'm on the in-between side in the companies. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, that's incredible. And your experience is so robust in this industry that I think you're really well poised to give us some inside insights. So the women that are listening, you know, many of them are maybe in this field or are looking to enter this field. Talk about a little bit what it's like being a woman in media, in broadcast media, uh, in television in particular. And what is it like being a mom? Yeah. So, you know, I think being a woman in broadcast media is much like being a woman in a lot of fields where you feel like you have to prove yourself just a little bit more, right? Um, I was particularly lucky in media at Nickelodeon because I was surrounded by women. And I was surrounded by women who were moms. And that was just so incredibly helpful because they understood what it meant to be a working mom. And they also just, I saw little daily insights into their lives. Even if we weren't talking about being a mom, just hearing about how they sent their kids off to camp or hearing about how they had their laptop open while their kid was watching TV and me, a little light bulb going off inside my head being like, oh, that's okay if your kids see you work. You know, those little cultural things were just so helpful to me as a mom to have that. Um, another thing that was super interesting about working at Nickelodeon as a mom is I had a little focus group at home. And, you know, I my kids actually got addicted to Paw Patrol while I was working <laughs> on the series. So, you know, that was really, really amazing. Um, you know, the other side of that coin is it was an incredibly demanding job. And as helpful as the other women were in the working community, they were super driven passionate women that also had kids. Um, and you had to keep up, you know, we all had to keep up with each other. And there was a bit of a cultural pressure there. And we all traveled and we all went to all the meetings and we all worked all the late nights. Um, and, you know, very rarely did someone say, um, I can't do that. So, um, you know, when you work with a, with a, a crew of really determined, hardworking moms, it can be a blessing and it can also be, um, I don't want to call it a curse. It's really inspiring and I'm a hard worker as well, but you definitely um, feel like you have to measure up to a certain standard and every mom has different needs and every mom's kid has different needs. And I think that that can be forgotten a little bit. Yeah, totally. And you know, this is something that I think um, not just moms, but women. We do this a lot. We don't set boundaries and we don't manage expectations and we don't say the word no, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we almost apologize. We're, we're almost apologetic for having kids. We're apologetic for having a family. We're apologetic that maybe I can't stay at the office until nine o'clock at night. And, you know, maybe. I can do this later and maybe I can, you know, come online or, you know, maybe I don't even need to come online. Like we, we apologize. We feel almost apologetic and then we try to compensate, overcompensate because, you know, we feel that it was something bad that we had to do something for our children. And, and that's really, that's really detrimental, I think, to the culture of working motherhood. And I think that's something, um, as you mentioned, it's, it's amazing to be surrounded by driven you know, ambitious women. But also I think part of our responsibility as women at work is to support other women by saying, you know, I think you can go home. It's okay. Go home. And, you know, you don't need to do this now. And you don't need to respond to the emails that come in at 1 a.m., you mm -hmm. know? And I think that's maybe something that as women, we don't do that well. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I agree. I think that it's it's our responsibility and I think that remembering that every woman is different and just because you might have the support at home to stay and you make that choice, it doesn't mean that other women are empowered to make that choice. And if they are empowered to make that choice, do they want to make that choice? Right. Right. And so, um, you know, as a woman who manages other women, I think it really becomes your responsibility to be thoughtful. And, and really be proactive about your approach in making your employees feel like they have a choice. 
mm. with you. And, and that's exactly right. And, you know, culture is leadership led, right? It's, mm. it's led by leader. It's led and shaped by the people in power, right? Whether it's your line managers or, or their managers or the C-suite, um, culture is shaped by the people who lead it. And, um, if you're a manager and you're listening to this or anyone in a position to shape a culture or lead a team, um, this is very important because, um, you know, what you give to your team, not just in terms of support and resources and guidance and advice in their work, but also in terms of, you know, leeway and even leeway feels like a bad word, but just the grace to have a life outside mm -hmm. of work, right? That I think will come back to reward you tenfold in, in productivity and performance. And um, we see the statistics, Jess, all the time anyway, you know, working mothers. Um, and I think we just shared something actually today on, on social media, and I'll pull it up. But in a survey of working, um, in a survey of working Americans, um, there were some incredible, incredible stats that were shared um, as it pertains to working mothers. So in this survey of working Americans, 51% described mothers as calmer in a crisis. Okay. I believe that. Oh, yeah, totally. 47% say they're more diplomatic. Also yeah. believe that, right? 44% believe they're better team players which I think we are, and 65% think they're better listeners. Um, and 91% believe that when a woman is a mother, she is better suited to lead and manage projects and teams at work. Those stats are incredible, Jess, but it doesn't necessarily always translate into the way managers or leaders are are managing their teams. So talk a little bit about how you as a manager that manages women, keep that um, in the forefront of your mind. Yeah, it's, you know, I think so much of it is fear-based with managers, right? You, you know, they have a superstar on their team and that woman has a child and all of a sudden the pie has got to be split, right? And so I think that part of what helps me manage that in my teams is that was me. I was someone who gave a hundred percent to work and having a child, uh, my first, just, it, it made me draw some boundaries that I was never able to draw. Um, and because there was never anything more important to me than my job. Um, I knew how to have fun. I had, I had a good marriage. I had other things going on, but my job always came first. And um, being a mom, really helped me realize that there's more to life. And now there was something that was of equal, if not greater importance every day, right? In terms of who needs what percent of you. And so um, you become more efficient. You become better at prioritizing. You become better at saying no to things that don't need to be done right away so that you can do the things that do need to be done great right away. And until it happens to you, you don't really understand how it works, I think. And so I think there's this distrust with managers that it, that it is going to work and that their, their players are going to figure out how to make it work for them and continue to be superstars on their team. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of them manage out of fear. And, you know, have a watchful eye out for any missteps or anything that might be falling through the cracks, right? Instead of giving that initial period of grace and trust and understanding, um, you should be putting out a safety net, yeah, not watching for trips and falls. And so, you know, I think that it's, a, it's also a promise that goes both ways, right? You know, I think as a manager... You can put out a safety net and trust that the job will still get done. And at the end of the day, you're going to know whether the job got done or not. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter in what hours. It doesn't matter, um, you know, always on what timeline, as long as ultimate deadlines are met and the job is done. So, um, you know, I've found that proactively excusing people from things proactively saying, 
if there are meetings that you can't make because you have to attend to your baby. And even now that we're working from home, you know, there are times when I have a new mom who just returned at two and a half months and she was really wanted to come back. And I told her, I don't think that's enough time. And she really wanted to come back. And so, you know, I said proactively, if there are times that you have to breastfeed and just turn off your Zoom, if there are times that you have to, you know, that the baby is crying and you just need to go, that's okay. You know, like you're, we can fill you in. Um, I know that you are on it. Um, and I see her logging on at odd hours and I know she's probably breastfeeding in the middle of the night. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but, but that trust is there. You know, I had been working with her for four months leading up to her pregnancy. I knew she was someone who was going to get it done. Um, and I knew she was someone that I could and should proactively excuse from things and give her the grace of just knowing that she could set her own pace. Yeah. And I think there's, I mean, that's that's amazing to me just hearing you say that because it's, it seems and sounds so simple and yet it's almost never done, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned it, so much of management is fear-based. And I think there's two things in there. So the first is you had mentioned you don't realize until it happens to you, right? And this is just the human condition. This is People are forgetful and selfish. You know, we only understand what is within our own experience. But this is the case for greater female representation in leadership, right? This is the case for greater female representation in leadership. People are not a monolith. Women are not a monolith. If you want to understand how to effectively manage mothers and women and different parts of your workforce, you need to have managers and leadership that is also representative of your workforce, or you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do that effectively. And, and the second thing is, you, you know, you talked about trust and it just reminded me of something. I watched this interview with Steve Jobs before he passed many, many years ago. And he's, he's given so many really fantastic and fascinating interviews. And, um, by and large, none of it was anything profoundly new or exciting, but there was one thing that really stuck with me. And it was an interview where somebody was asking him, so Steve, what do you do like at Apple all day? Like, what do you do? You come in and, and then what do you do? Do you make yourself a cup of coffee? What do you do? He's like, well, I'll tell you from the second I walk into the door to the second I leave, I'm in meetings all day. And and the reporter asked, you know, who are you in meetings with? He said, Everybody. From the intern to the associate to, you know, the C-suite to to director, every single person. I meet with every single person because you don't know where a good idea is going to come from. And secondly, every single person on that team is important. And then the reporter said, well, so when you go to these meetings, what kind of meetings are there? They're like brainstorming. He's like, yeah, they're brainstorming and we come up with ideas and and then the, and the reporter asked, does anyone ever tell you that your ideas are bad or that you're wrong? And uh, you know what Steve Jobs said? He said, of course. Why would they be there if they didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Why would they be there if they didn't? Why are they there? They're there to tell me when ideas are bad. They're, te- they're there to tell me when I'm wrong. And I trust them because why would I hire them if I didn't trust them? So- I trust them. And that's what you got to do. You got to trust your people because they're the ones that are doing this for you. And, yeah. you know, to your point, Jess, evicting another human bu- being from your body doesn't suddenly make you a different person, make you less capable, make you dumb, make you lose your skills. I think it I think it makes you a bit of a superhero, right, to, to grow a human and, and push it out of your body. But we have to remove that stigma like you mentioned, yeah. that mothers are somehow now because they have kids. It's not pie. It's not pie, right? <laughs> it's not pie. That's that's what it is. So, you know, I want to go into what you said about travel, because when we spoke a little bit a, a, a few weeks ago, I think when we first talked about this, you had mentioned, you know, you traveled and when you were breastfeeding, right? Mm-hmm. Um I don't, I don't remember which company you were with at that time, but you said that they had like a breast milk shipment service. Yes. And it was so funny because you were like, you know, I was traveling and I was all over these places, but I was nursing and I was pumping, but it was fine because, you know, they would ship my breast milk back home. 
Eight and o'clock the next morning. Eight o'clock next morning. Up. And then me and you were sitting there and I was, you know, I was going through this like whole like spectrum of emotions, like, wow, that's really amazing to, that's really kind of awful because now you have no excuse to yeah. travel. So, so talk a little bit about how some of these things that could be perceived as perks might actually end up being a bit of a trap to moms at work. Yes, yes. I know we we talked about that in our initial conversation and I thought about it some more and I want to be careful how I position it um, and give the audience, you know, a bit of background. So the partnership that Viacom had was with Milk Stork and you would arrive at the hotel that you were staying at and, and mine was, I'm on the East Coast and this was usually either Vegas or LA, you know, somewhere far and, you know, you'd arrive at the hotel and there would be a box waiting for you in your room with dry ice and a return label. And you would give that sucker to the front desk <laughs> and it was on your, my husband would text me at 8am the next morning and be like, I can't believe this is here. <laughs> you know, it was such an amazing service. And I'm sure it cost them a lot of money to do that. Um, and overall, it's incredibly generous and it is a huge step in the right direction, right? I think that the danger is that sometimes these perks at the top level can actually, as you said, affect the culture in a negative way, right? Because now there's an expectation. Right. There's some level of expectation that you can make this work. And so I'm not saying to take the perks away. I'm saying that you also have to couple it with culture change. Right. You also have to couple it with education for leaders and understanding that some moms can't pump doesn't work for them. Some moms need to be home for their babies for a completely separate reason every day, right? Maybe it's medical, maybe it's physical, um, and maybe it's something they can't really even talk about at work or don't want to. Um, But, you know, these perks, as you said, can be performative to the point where they level set expectations and they apply pressure. And so if they're not coupled with that cultural shift, they can actually you know, affect you in a bit of a negative way in some cases. Yeah, completely. And, and and I agree with you. Like I was one of those moms. So I have three children and each of my children were breastfed in different ways. So one, I could not pump at all. Another one, I could only pump. The other one, I had to formula feed. I mean, each child was different. And, you know, if I was at face value looking at an employer at Viacom CBS and saying, wow, they have this great partnership with Milk Stork, right? And it's a great way, you know, to really encourage mothers, you know, to, to get back at work, of course. And, you know, if, if you're pumping, have no fear, we'll get your breast milk. But then the other side is, of, of that, as you mentioned, is why is that service necessary? Because the expectation is that when you're nursing and your child is that young, you will travel and you will travel a lot. And, you know, now there is no excuse to not travel because we have this service. So, you know, and, and these conversations have been, you know, people have been having these conversations for a while. Why do companies like Google, right, um, have laundry service on campus and food? On, it's so that people never leave, right? It's, yeah. it's like yeah. Hotel California, except it's at work. People are sleeping there, right? And uh, so so that's that's something that we need to we need to be conscious of um, as employers because as as you mentioned Jess it needs to be coupled with the culture change you can't just you know say we are now a partner with this service and we now do this but what are the the implications of that and I think that brings us to the next point which is we see a lot you know we've seen it in the last year with the pandemic you know we support our frontline workers we've seen it with the black lives matter movement we've seen it in you know stop asian hate movement we we've seen so many different movements um slick commercials ad campaigns marketing hashtags social media companies are claiming to be inclusive right supporting women, supporting mothers, supporting minorities. But how many are actually that remains to be seen? And if you look at it, a lot of these companies have been actually dragged for for their performance theater. Like, oh, it's so great that you put up this hashtag, but you've actually donated X millions of dollars to the opposite cause. Um, But how can, Jess, women, mothers, weed out the cultures 
that are actually practicing what they preach versus those that are more superficially um, participating. Yeah, you're so right. I think right now, so much of it is driven by society pressures. So much of it is driven by investors. Um, and look, it's it's never a bad thing for companies to um, try to do better publicly. And, but I, I really do think that the only way that you really can know what's going on on the inside is to ask people who are already there. Yeah. I really do. I think that um, I've seen it. I've seen a lot of it through, you know, friends and coworkers, certainly, as, as um, in addition to my own experiences, um, there are companies that walk the walk and there are companies that absolutely do not. And I don't think you ever really know unless you talk to people on the inside. So I would just say, go on LinkedIn, go on Glassdoor, ask people to have a chat with you, pick their brains. I think people would be more than happy to tell you what it's like at an organization. If they're happy, they're going to want to tell you they're happy. If they're not happy, they're going to want to tell you why. Um, and I've, I've certainly done that. I've certainly, you know, asked people to link me up with friends at, at companies to talk to them before entertaining an offer or a conversation. I think it's a really smart move and it's um, it's the only way to get the real information. <laughs> I think that's brilliant advice. And again, I, I think that's something that's so simple that maybe we just don't even think to do, right? Why LinkedIn is is such a valuable tool in that sense that you can just reach out to people and I can say, hey, Jess, I see that you're at PopSockets, you know, what is it like and how do you like it there? And, and mm -hmm. do you have a minute to just share with me, you know, some of your experience? This is the role that I'm applying for or that I've been given an offer for. And what has it been like? What are the hours and what are the managers like? And, you know, what are some of the performance metrics and, and things like that? And I think that's super important. You can certainly go on LinkedIn. You can certainly go on glass doors. And Jess, on April 1st, you can go on jobs.mom because <laughs> yes. we are going to be sharing, we are building and are going to be unveiling a review and rating system specifically designed around maternity, paternity, and parental leave and inclusivity policies at companies. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Yes, that's it. What kind of maternity leave do you give? Here's 50 people that are going to tell you it's not what they tell you. What kind oh, of know. what kind of um, you know, childcare support do they give? Zero to something amazing. Here's 20 people that are going to give you their experiences. So, we are building a platform that is specifically designed to share that inside truth about what it's like being a working mom, a working parent. Um at these companies. Um, so April 1st, that is going to be live, Jess. So that's great. That's great. I think that'll be a great, I mean, anything you can do to open up the resource. Um, and further to the conversation about LinkedIn and, and just asking people, I think, you know, if your potential employer learns that you're doing that, I can't imagine they wouldn't respect you for it. Absolutely. You're doing your homework. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's the other fear. Like a lot of a lot of us, men and women, right? When we go to an interview, we feel like they're interviewing us, but we're interviewing them just the same, mm -hmm. right? We're interviewing yeah. them just the same. Like, you know, I was speaking to somebody the other day and we have tons of resources on the jobs.mom knowledge hub for those of you that want to check it out on interviewing and 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 dealing with some of the questions, you know, like Oh, you've been out of work for the last 10 months. Can you explain? Yeah, something called the coronavirus. Maybe you've heard of it, you know? So um, we, we talk about, you know, you need to be interviewing these this company as well. This is where you're going to be spending probably more time than you are with your kids at home, right? Mm -hmm. How have you guys done in COVID? Have you laid people off? What kind of support are you providing to your virtual workers? Ask questions, right? They're going to respect you for it. In no way should you feel that it diminishes your position um, or your standing um, for candidacy. So I think that's a really important point. Now, going back to culture, um, and, and this is something that we talked a little bit about. You were at Viacom CBS for, for a good number of years. Was it eight years? Mm -hmm. um, nine. Yeah. Nine years. Um, and during that time, um, the company was rocked by a number of sexual harassment uh, scandals, which is actually not singularly unique to Viacom CBS. I mean, I think across broadcast media, we hear it 
all the time. There was that movie with Charlize Theron, I think about Fox last year, two years ago, yep. I forgot what it was called. Um, but it's quite prevalent, right? Sexual harassment um, across all industries. But this was qu quite high profile at Viacom CBS. So can you share a little bit about what it was like during that time and you know, what were some of your perceptions or how did you feel working there knowing that this is what was going on around you at your company? Yeah, it, it, it was the height of the Me Too movement, I think, during my last year there, which was super interesting. It was, it, it's interesting, you know, the company did not, um, we didn't really, we didn't talk about it in a head-on type of way. It was always going on in the news. We would talk about it in the elevators a little bit in the hallways. Um, but I have to say at Nickelodeon and in my department in consumer products, it didn't affect us too much. Um, I think it's part of, I think that's kind of part of the brainwashing of working at a big company. You know, you kind of go there every day and kind of start to keep your head down and, and do your job. Um, and so it's, it's interesting kind of leaving that and going to a smaller company where that is not as much the case. Um, and you're not, and questioning things becomes more acceptable. Um, speaking up in meetings becomes more acceptable. Whereas somewhere, somewhere like Viacom, um, you have to know your place a little bit and you have to know what room you're in and when you can ask a question and when it's better not to. Um, and I think there was definitely, um, a pervasive feeling that we just, didn't really talk about it too much um, at the company, good and, or bad. And did you did you find or feel or see that as these you know this this these sexual harassment issues were being brought to light and, and fought out in court, did you see any kind of perceptible or imperceptible shifts in you know some of the tone in management or some of the internal communications? Did you notice anything like that? Um, not, not specifically in the tone of management. Again, I had a lot of female leaders there, um, who are strong, great leaders. Um, I will say we had a really strong women's group that I was a part of, and there was some discussion there around it. There was, um, definitely some, I'll say, you know, Topics of, of group meetings, topics of panel discussions that just kind of addressed the issue at large, not specifically at Viacom CBS. Um, so I thought that was super interesting as well, that we were talking about it, um, but we weren't talking about the very right. executives, right, that were in our building or right next door. Right. Um, but again, I think it's that big company way of addressing it in a safe way way, addressing it in a way where no one's scared to lose their job, but we're still talking about it. And we're still, as women, raising awareness of the issues. And do you think that that, that was the right way? I mean, what I'm trying to understand is, say that you were lucky because you were surrounded by strong women, but there are a lot mm -hmm. of women um, that are not, right? They're surrounded in, in by, by male counterparts and colleagues and male managers. And maybe they felt a little bit more uncomfortable because they didn't have that support. So what do you think in your experience, having been in the big firms and in the smaller firms, what would be the most effective way to deal with something like that to make sure that nobody feels a little bit left behind or left out or, or threatened? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I think um, addressing things head on, is something that I I feel like the last year has taught me in so many ways at work, um, throughout the virus, throughout you know, just everything that happened in 2020. Um, I feel like at, you know culture and companies are shifting to be expected to address things um, head on and keep their um, employees informed. You know, two years ago was actually kind of a long time ago in history. So much has happened, right? right? Culture has, has 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 done a 180 about three times since yeah. 2018, <laughs> right? So it's, it's you know, um, I don't think it would be handled the same way today, yeah. even there. I think there is increasing pressure for leadership to take topics head on 
and address them as they are happening in real time with their staff. And I think I see it at my current company. It's one of the reasons I like to work there. Um, but I think even at companies that are bigger, um, it's just becoming more of an expectation and rightly so from employees to hear from management on topics that are in the news. Yeah, I think you're right. And and I think, you know, it's like we said earlier, it's culture is is management led, right? So different CEOs create different cultures and different managers have different team environments. Now, one of the things that I'm just I'm thinking about and, and it just kind of, you know, triggered something in my mind hearing you speak, you know, you spend a lot of time with brands and developing brands and brand strategy. And I have a little bit of branding experience. I was at um, Landor, a large branding agency. Um, But, you know, a lot of companies now will, will start selectively working with brands that are more closely aligned with their values. But at the end of the day, you know, the brands that don't align with your values, their money is is good too, right? So um, how do you reconcile sometimes maybe having to do these really slick marketing campaigns or developing these brand vehicles for companies that are really, again, putting out those fancy Super Bowl ads or really beautiful magazine spreads about we do this and we support this when you know the CD underbelly is that they don't do any of that? How do you reconcile that as an individual and as a firm? Yeah, that's it's an interesting one. I, I I was toying with the idea of putting out a blog for a while a few years back called called Mom and Marketing. Um, because when I was at Viacom, I was in ad sales marketing for a while. And, you know, we had to architect these campaigns where we used our IP and our characters to support other brands. And um, even if they sold sugary cereal, you know, even if they sold, um, you know, something that you wouldn't want to want your own kids to play with or something that, you know, didn't feel like it was the right um, alignment with the brand. Um, But they had the money and they were willing to pay it. Um, And so uh, that was that was a little hard, you know, Um, and you you kind of had to put those feelings aside. And I think, you know, as I've grown in my career, Um, I don't, I think some of this is by will and some of it is just luck that I've grown into roles that align more closely with my personal values. So I went from there to consumer products at Viacom where, you know, everything that we were selling, um, was, you know, put through filters and, you know, tested and approved and had, you know, educational merit behind it. And, you know, and I went from there to a company where um, almost everything that we do is mission-based. And, you know, we have a huge platform that, I mean, huge for our company, (laughs) but, um, you know, a a nationally recognized and globally recognized platform to enable activism. Um, And, you know, we have a a founder who absolutely loves to give back and, and only wants to make the company bigger so that he can give more to charitable causes. So um, I think that, you know, when you, when you, when you're learning, you know, you're, you're kind of learning in your career, not only what you like to do best, but what you like to support best and what you want to drive forward and put your energy behind in the world. Um, and I think that, you know, if you channel your energy in the right way and you make the career moves that um, make that path continue for you, you can evolve that to something that that feels more inherent to your own goals and beliefs and where there's less um, variance between how you support yourself and um, your value system. Yeah. And I think I think that's so important because we see more and more companies moving towards a mission driven uh, approach um, because and, and as most things, it's be- as most things. Uh, it's because the consumers demand it, right? Society demands it. If society didn't give two hoots about it, you know, nobody would nobody would care, right? And mm-hmm. I think we need to be real about it. People are, biz- these are businesses at the end of the day, right? And mm-hmm. they are going to do and say the things that are going to make sure that they can keep the lights on, right? That's the reality of the situation. Um, that being said, as women and as mothers, oftentimes 
we feel like we have to make sacrifices or compromises in the positions that we take and, and the jobs that we take on um, for a number of reasons, whether it's for the flexibility or, you know, because it's better to have a lower level or a lower position or a less, you know, a demanding role that is safe and stable than, you know, for, to, to, to move forward or ahead. And, and people make choices uh, based on what's right for them and there's no right or wrong. Um, but I think it's important for women to to remember, I think, because we forget it, that you are allowed to do things that you enjoy and are passionate about, and um, you should pursue those passions um, if 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 those passions and the ability or opportunity to um, work in that area is not available at your firm, it's okay to look elsewhere for those things. It's important. Um, but in that vein, you're not going to know what's available for you unless you speak up that this is something that you're interested in. And you talk to your manager and I say, Jess, you know, I know I'm an associate now, but this is something that I'm interested in working on and doing. How do I get there? What do I have to do? And unless I verbalize that, Jess is never going to know that this is something I'm interested in. She's not going to share what the KPIs are for me to move into that next level. Um, and it goes back to a little bit of self-advocacy, right? Where mm -hmm. um, nobody's going to give it to you, which we all know as moms, because, you know, the most common phrase in my house is forget it, I'll do it myself, right? It's oh, I'll do it myself. <laughs> nobody's going to do it for you. We got that down pat. But people are also not psychic, right? You need to, to advocate for yourself. And I think that's different. And you're more able to do stuff like that, like advocate for yourself in smaller firms, as you mentioned a little earlier, where um, there's a little less politics and a lot more of an open culture. So if you can share a little bit of the contrast in your experiences working for the large conglomerates and in the smaller firms, Jess, please. Mm, yeah, I think, you know, the opportunities in the smaller firms um, just, in my experience, they just so far outweigh um, those in bigger companies. You know, I think that every new opportunity that came up um, at Viacom, it was like a land grab, you know, every, like 10 people were raising their hands and duking it out where, um, you know, at the startup that I was at and at um, PopSockets, there's too much work and not enough people. So, right. <laughs> you know, the world is your oyster. If you have the time and the inclination, you can go take something and run with it. Um, and, you know, I think that is... Um, it's just a very different culture, you know, um, and it's super exciting. It's super exciting. And what is it? What it. is it like at PopSockets? So, for those of you that uh, I'm sure everybody knows PopSockets, I'm sure for those of you that are listening to this, you're listening to this on a phone that has a PopSocket on the back of it, right? Um, but it's such a fun, fresh, friendly brand, which you are in charge of. So, of course, it is because you are fabulous. The brand is fabulous. But what is it like? Um, what is it like there? Does the culture inside mirror the culture that we imagine it on the outside? In a lot of ways, yeah. Also, it's super weird for me because you have to remember I've only been there since August. Right. So I've never visited the office. Oh, yeah. I've never met anyone on my team <laughs> or on the team, right? Um, I've hired people that I've never met. Um, yeah, it's 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 such an interesting time to join a company. And, you know, it's a really um, fun and exciting growth period for the company where we're expanding into all these new categories and we're bringing new um, expertise onto the leadership team. Um, but we're all doing it virtually and over Slack. So I would say, you know, the culture is exciting, fast paced. Um, all ideas are welcome, but, um, and th this is not a, but this is an, and, um, and we move fast yep. and we make major decisions on Slack. Yeah. You know, we on just, Slack, right? <laughs> we do, we do. And that was a big shift for me coming yeah. from Viacom where everything needed five meetings and 10 approvals, and right? And committees and- Exactly. Right. Like here you Slack the CEO and oh. you get a yes or a no. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's that's the fun in being in a smaller firm and in a growing firm. And there's benefits to both. Right. There's a lot of value in being a part of a larger company. And I was, you know, on the media side, I was at Bloomberg for a few years, yes. which is 
um, how I know you, but, um, but it's also very different because I was at, I spent time at smaller agencies and at startups and um, jobs.mom, right? It was essentially we're a startup and, you know, we are a growing team and we are expanding already um, since our launch into the Middle East and into Europe and then slowly into um, the Asia Pacific market. Um, And it's, it's, it's insane. It's a complete um, hurricane every day, right? And um, we don't have time to have 12 votes and five meetings and six agendas and, right. and seven sign-offs. I mean, we just, yes or no, like, let's just do it. And mm-hmm. the great thing is that my team, um, it, it's it's such a flat structure. Everybody's got an idea. Everybody's doing 12 things. I am, you know, signing contracts and also taking out the trash and licking the envelope. I mean, this is the full cycle of of business. And I think there's um, so much beauty in that experience. So a lot of women, you know, they they, um, have this conflict, like, should I join a larger firm where it might be safe and secure and I can put my head down? Should I join a, a smaller firm, which is maybe more of a risk, but I have a lot more exciting opportunity? Um, and I think your answer was best is that um, you have to do what's right for you, right? You have to do what's right for you. And um, you have to do your due diligence, not just on Google, but reach out to people that are at those firms and say, how do you feel there? And how stable is the company? And, you know, do you think X, Y, and Z? And this should become a really, I would say, a mandatory part of every job seeker's um, due diligence before they accept an offer. So Jess, I'm just, I'm conscious of time and I could sit here and talk to you about this forever because it's, it's so fascinating. And, um, but talk to me, you know, in your last parting words to these women that are listening to you and, you know, you are like a, you are like a God. I mean, you, you built Paw Patrol in our home. I mean, Paw Patrol is like, no, I, I, you know, I helped, I helped market Paw Patrol. Yeah, Let's well, it's because of you that we have Paw Patrol in our home. So I'm, I'm not going to know the creator of Paw Patrol. She's yeah. an amazing woman. Yeah, no, it's, oh. It's a, yeah. it's an it's an unbelievable brand that yes, I was so. so lucky I mean, to we all have shrines, I'm sure, to Paw Patrol oh, yeah. in all of our homes. <laughs> My kids, your kids, everybody who's listening, their kids live under a rock, and you'd still know what Paw Patrol and could sing the theme song. But you know, tell tell us from your perspective in this in this amazing career that you've had and the experiences that you've had. What advice would you give to women and mothers um, in TV, in broadcast media about you know, balancing life and a family, advocating for themselves, moving up the corporate ladder. You know, for women, we talk about that broken rung on the bottom. It's hard to climb up. What advice would you give? Yeah, this may sound basic, but I absolutely think the best thing you can do is to get a mentor. And it's in one way, you know, as a busy working mom, you can look at it as another thing to add to your list, right? My time right. to my mentor, time to update my mentor. But um, I would say get two, get three, um, and make sure there's someone who has some distance from your team and your boss, and they are an objective ear. And I think that that has helped me and can help women on so many levels. From I'm having a big problem with this relationship at work and I want your insight as an objective listener and someone I respect to, you know, do you commute on your, do you work on your commute on the way in? You know, right. is that normal for you? Uh, you know, like, um, do you ever feel like you don't want your kids to, you know, see you on your phone too much when you're, you know, answering emails before bedtime, like little things, you know, just hearing about their weekend, helped me put my life as a working mom into perspective a little bit. Um, And I just, I think that it's, it's something else to dedicate time to. And time is a really precious resource when you're a working mom, but I think it's really worth it. And I think that's so, I think that's so important. You're right. And just to build upon that for the women that are listening, who, who is a mentor? Where do they find the mentors? Who is a good mentor? Is it within their company, outside of the company? What is the profile of the best mentor for you? It's a great question. Um, you know, I think if you're not comfortable asking your boss, I always say, like, if you have a cool boss, 
he or she will find you a mentor in the company. Um, and, and cause they want you to be happy there and they want you to have that ear. Um, if that's not an option for you, look around, look at the, the women in your company or in your field or through your network that you respect, um, and ask, you know, I had a woman, le- uh, reach out to me last summer on LinkedIn and, um, she, you know, I didn't know her from anywhere and she was a college student and she just wanted to pick my brain. To, to know whether she should try to get into the entertainment industry. And she asked me for half an hour and I gave it to her. You know, I think it's people will be generous with their time. I think people, you know, will respond. And if they don't ask someone else, you know, I think you can, you can find the people if you, um, if you network and, but make sure it's someone that you really respect yeah. um, and that you, you want to dedicate the time to them as well. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Find a mentor, and I know um, for myself, I've had I, I've been blessed with a number of really great mentors. Um, some um, were intentionally sought out, and others life just put in my path, and they just mm-hmm. I kind of adopted. The, and I find some of those are the most important mentors to have that just fall yeah, into okay. your lap. Um, but I think it would be hubris to not acknowledge that all of us stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, to get to where we are, um, you know, giants, you know, public, private, uh, big and small, um, we are where we are because of those that have helped us get here. And that includes the crowd that will say, nobody ever helped me. I did it all on my own. No, you didn't. You could yeah. do it on your own because somebody else paved that path for you to let you. So um, Jessica Murphy, Vice President of Global Branding at Pop Sockets, Media Diva, and Paw Patrol Goddess Extraordinaire. Thank you for being on Moms at Work. I need to talk to you more often. This is like... I know. It's, it's great for your self-esteem. self-esteem yeah. Come to my house and look at my Paw Patrol shrine. I single-handedly keeping that show in syndication, I think. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Thanks, Jess, for being with me today. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Oh, and for all of you that are listening, uh, you can follow along at jobs.mom slash podcast. Um, and we will be sharing uh, Jess's details and her LinkedIn handle. So you can always connect with her and follow her in the episode description. Um, and of course, jobs.mom, M-O-M, is live for those of you that need support, guidance, help, um, and jobs. We are putting moms back at work with employers that are practicing what they're preaching. So until next time, stay safe, stay sane. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this was Moms at Work. Follow us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work.